Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Lady Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Jocelyn Pearl, and today we have another great interview in store for you guys. I chat with Dr. Kiana Aran. She's an associate professor at the Keck Graduate Institute in California, and she's also the inventor of the CRISPR chip technology. We get into the story behind that idea and more in this episode. Before we jump in, if you've been enjoying our content so far, please click subscribe and leave us a comment or a review. It really helps us. I'd also like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Kendall Investor Relations. Thank you so much for listening to this independent podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today, it's my privilege to welcome Dr. Kiana Aran. She's an associate professor at the Keck Graduate Institute, and she's also the CSO and co-founder of Cardea Bio. Kiana also was recently awarded Nature's uh, Women in Science Award for 2021. Congrats, Kiana. And we're really excited to have you on Lady Scientist Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So I want to jump in with all of the news that has come out around this award and some of your announcements. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about what the, the award process was like for you? Yes, um, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me in this podcast. It's a pleasure. And um, the Nature Research Award was an award uh, that basically recognized um, um, uh, women in their early careers and their contribution to science. And um, I was, uh, so apparently there were about 180 uh, candidates and um, six people were shortlisted and I was super excited to be shortlisted. And um, uh, for about a month we had a meeting together and we had some sort of uh, leadership training and um, uh, a chat room where we could chat about our challenges, which was really great. And just to meet those wonderful women, it was an amazing win for me. And uh, on the day of announcement, I actually was not expecting that. And uh, I, I literally did my uh, speech uh, talk um, prepared like five minutes before the, you know, the ceremony because I wasn't, I, I wasn't expecting it. So, um, yes, it was a sort of a surprise for me and I was super happy and I'm um, really excited to, to be the recipient of that award. It means a lot to me because... Um, I worked really hard to get where I am, you know, and uh, and it was fascinating and in, in exciting to me to to feel that, you know, uh, the science that I was really passionate about was also resonating with um, with others. So that was that was really good. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, you mentioned in in another interview about this group chat that you guys had um, as the nominees. Can you talk about, um, you know? maybe some of the leadership training that you guys did. And um, if you think that anything will come out of making those connections with these other uh, women leaders in this field. Absolutely. So in, in that platform where we, we were able to chat with each other, we were also um, provided with training from other women, other leaders, and uh, some of the challenges they had, how did they create the brand for themselves? How did they promote themselves? How did they, you know, um, uh, uh, deal, you know, in general, how do they deal with conflict and really like, you know, um, important uh, topics, which as uh, scientists, as leaders, we encounter on a daily basis and ensuring that we really uh, 
um, you know, take those um, take those experiences and really, you know, uh, react to them in a way that a leader would react, not, um, you know, because as scientists, sometimes, you know, we're so passionate about what we do and we're so direct and we're not very humble. I would say, and uh, and sometimes when you become leaders, you really have to tune some of those characters to become a better leader, you know. And uh, not that you know being direct or being being uh, scientifically oriented, where we really have to see you know um, hypothesis result, experiment results. You know, sometimes really just looking at it from a different perspective is really important to become a better leader. And and it was nice. It was nice to actually be able to interact with those women and and uh, had have those opportunities to hear their stories and how they got there, how they dealt with their issues and their problems. So I found it really interesting. And uh, we still continue to be a, uh, members of that platform. And um and uh, I already created, you know, connections with some of those uh, women. I'm actually going to Berkeley next week and I have dinner plans with the runner-up because she was from Berkeley. So we're planning to talk to see if there is any project that we can collaborate. And also I, I wanted to get them involved in the nonprofit organization that I established uh, with the award money that I got from Nature. And I wanted to get, uh, you know, all of the shortlisted women involved in that um, journey with me as well so um uh, had multiple meeting and i'm hoping to meet uh, the rest of the team in person as well that's a great segue because i wanted to ask you next about the the new platform that you're developing and 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 what you're doing with this prize money so maybe you can absolutely so um i'm a scientist i'm also an entrepreneur i always had the you know the excitement of just taking my technology to next level to to a product uh, throughout my journey i i would encounter a lot of things that i wasn't actually paying attention to for example i'll give you an example this question of how does it feel to work in a male dominated field i have received this question so many times and it sort of carries such a negative uh, uh you know energy for me because it feels like you're putting everything aside and you're just focusing on, on me being a woman and working in a field that is, you know, mostly male dominated and you're making men look like really not human, like monster. So I, I, I just don't connect with that. And I think it really shifts our focus to, to limitation mostly than, you know, uh, what is possible? What is in front of you? How can I take advantage of that? How can I actually become a leader? Because if you constantly tell women, it's so hard to work in a male-dominated field. It's so difficult. How did you do it? So you're making it even more difficult than it sounds like, right? So um, the next person who wants to take your path, they already, you know, entering this journey with the feeling that it's gonna be very difficult to work with men. It's gonna be very difficult to work in a male-dominated field. It's not, you know, it's not if you're true to your, you know, to to what you have achieved, it's true to your capability, you know? And um, uh, I, I agree that there are things that needs to be fixed, but, you know, just focusing, constantly focusing on the roots of the problem without like, you know, basically stepping in, creating more, um, 
uh, opportunities, creating more role models so other people can actually look into it's, it's I think it's as important as fixing those roots, right? You can fix the roots when you have more females, when you have more women in those industries. So that was, uh, that was something that, it, you know, I, I constantly talk with my uh, co-founder and my colleagues at, um, at Kadia, you know, when we were interviewed by journalists and, and they would ask them, you know, question, all technical question and business question. And when they get to me, that's the first question that they would ask. I'm mm. like, no, not this one again. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and then um, after winning this award, one of my colleagues um, um, told me, Kiana, maybe that's, a, that's an opportunity for you to, to basically start something to, mm. to, to act on, you know, to, to just promote them. And, and then they have been helping me, actually, all my co-founder, Ankadia, um, um, you know, staff and talents have been all helping me to actually create this platform. So this platform is not focused on women, um, it's mostly focusing on how can we actually, you know, promote um, roles in leadership for women. Uh, and the reason that, you know, we have to fix the, the women issue in those roles uh, to begin with is that uh, there's so much focus on drawing more women into STEM field. And we have been doing a great job in, in, in you know, advocating for it and getting, you know, young uh, girls excited about becoming a scientist, being involved in STEM. And uh, if you look at universities, 50% or more of graduate degrees are awarded to women. But then when you look at the end of the funnel, when, when all of these resources have been, you know, invested in educating these women, you don't see many of them in leadership role. And really to, to make science impactful, we have to, you know, collaborate. We have to bring all of these great minds together to be able to solve humankind problem. So to unlock the power of education, to un, you know, for all of these resources that goes into training women, we need to bring them more into influential roles. And how do we do that? We create, you know, um, we bring more women in those roles. And the way that we can do that is bring women who have potential to become successful in those roles, uh, you know, uh, and provide them with tools and necessary training so they're ready to take those roles. And also provide a platform when, for example, a firm or an industry is looking for a women leader is looking for a, a, a woman board member, they don't to just randomly pick someone and uh, hope that, you know, it's a good uh, selection, but they can go and have a platform where they can look at the experiences, the scientific background of these women, you know, and they can at least see that these women, they didn't have any experience, you know, they have not worked in the similar environment, but they have had some sort of a training. So they have a higher chance of being successful in those roles. And, um, and this way we can bring more women into the industry, which can then attract more women um, to those roles and create more role models. And I called it uh, the nebula because the nebula is where stars are formed. And really, you know, uh, the force of gravity causes the stars, you know, to form if they can overcome the outward force of limitation that is in front of them. So this is the, the goal, bring more women, create more stars. And uh, so, so the rest of the women have, have, have role models in leadership roles. And this way, I think we can, we can really, you know, create balance, um, unlock the power of education, 
by really, really utilizing all of these resources that is going into training these women in STEM. Because otherwise, just putting more women at the beginning of the funnel and not, you know, mm-hmm. which does not lead to any influential role, it doesn't solve the problem. Yeah, I love that concept. And I'm, yeah, I, I just think it's a great way to build on this personal ethos you have of focusing on possibilities and not limitations. And um, in the near term, what's the ask? Is there going to be some kind of application for women interested in participating in this platform or what does it look like? So everything happened so fast. So basically we did everything within a, within a week, right? And we are still establishing this thing. But as I mentioned, you know, at, to begin with, the membership is very particular because we want to bring you know, women in science who have higher chance of uh, becoming successful leader in, in STEM, in science. So we have to start, we have to have some sort of um, uh, a selection criteria for, uh, for the initial uh, members, you know, so, and as we expand, we're really thinking of how do we expand it to, to others. But to begin with, there are some sort of a criteria. I don't want to spell them out because we're still, you know, speaking with the expert and, uh, you know, I am planning to speak with nature and, and really, you know, brainstorm together to see what is the best sort of uh, this selection for the first, you know, 50 members that they that will be offered with, um, with training uh, classes and tools and uh, and uh, how do we actually expand on that will come after. But um, the selection criteria is it's mostly going to be science-based. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to, to link that as well for this episode so people can go find it. And I agree, everything's happened really quickly. I was just prepping for this interview and I couldn't believe how much I needed to catch up on. So you've been very busy. I, I commend you on all of these new developments. Thank you. Um, so I want to skip back a little bit in time and um, talk about the story of CRISPR chip, which, uh, by the way, it's such a fascinating technology and the idea of, uh, you know, marrying biomedical, you know, reagents with um, electric electrical reagents. Um, is really novel to me in my brain. Um, and so I love to just learn about the story of this technology and kind of how you came up with it and what that process was like working on it and developing it. Absolutely. So being in Berkeley, of course, you know, everything is about CRISPR. It's been about CRISPR for the last, you know, seven, eight years. Uh, so being a postdoc in Berkeley, I was also fascinated about CRISPR. And I remember one day, it was a Saturday morning, and uh, I, was, uh, I was going to my exercise class in the morning. And uh, in my mind, I was thinking about, you know, deactivated CRISPR and how CRISPR is being used for imaging application and all of that. And all of a sudden, I stood by the Pete's Coffee in Berkeley, the first Pete's Coffee. A lot of people who are residents of Berkeley, they know that coffee shop. I stood by the coffee shop. And in my mind, I'm like, what if I could capture the function of CRISPR? Because CRISPR is this wonderful enzyme that can unzip the double-stranded DNA, uh, find its target sequence with the help of a guide, guide RNA molecule that can be programmed. And it's, it's fair, before we can do anything, it's, it's searching. It's a search engine that can search its sequence of interest. And we program it to search for that sequence. What if we could just watch 
the enzyme as it does what it is good at. It's an enzyme created by nature over you know billions of years. It's it's a perfect enzyme. No human can create such an enzyme. And uh, I was working on using transistors and uh, modern electronic for the majority of my previous work. And uh, um, transistors are very sensitive to charged molecule. So um, if you actually put a charged molecule on top of a transistor, you can you can sense it because the majority of our protein, enzymes, and everything in our body has a charge, has an electrical charge in it. So I thought, okay, if I, if I decorated, if I anchored a CRISPR molecule to a surface of a nanotransistors and um, watched it basically as it interacted with its target uh, sequence, and once it, it, it binds to its target sequence, if I could actually see that um, uh, signal, then we can solve a major problem, which is amplification. Because right now, the way we actually detect the sequence, we chop the DNA, we chop the genome, then we add some primers and we amplify the, the, the sequence of interest, then we add some label to it, and then we, and then we, um, we can detect it with some optical instrument. Basically, as my colleague says, says always, is like we run over the uh, sample by bus before we can detect it. What if we use biology as technology? And uh, if this biological molecule can really do the search function for us, can we you know, anchor it to modern electronics and watch it as it does the search? So that was the whole idea. And I, I was standing there for like seven, eight minutes designing the whole experiment in my head. The whole time during my workout class, I, I was designing experiment, you know, in my head. I had, I, I can vividly remember that day and I could not, you know, I called a few friends on a Sunday, you know, and I'm like, who can help me with this project? And Monday we were at it. We were starting to like working with the, with the project. And uh, at the time I had never had my hand on a CRISPR molecule. I had never done a CRISPR experiment. It was just an... Uh, idea and as a biomedical engineer who was you know trained on electrical engineering biomedical engineering bioengineering have done chemistry have done biology I was not as scared of you know doing things or mixing things together which I think it's a it's a really a benefit of having that um, you know uh, sort of background because if you told a biologist to put a, an enzyme with an electronic system, they would freak out, right? But um, for me, nothing was impossible. I would just mix sciences together. And, uh, and you know, it, it either works or I would fail. So I think um, that was the, the beginning of that journey, which then led to uh, multiple different collaboration with, um, with different scientists, with industry, which then really led to you know me starting a company, then merging two companies, and it's just it's just it was the idea. I think first, but beyond that, was um, being brave enough to reach out, not being scared of sharing my ideas with others, and and asking for help, and really bring great collaborators to help me, you know, take the idea to the to the next level, and. Um, Today, I have learned so much about CRISPR and I'm fascinated more than ever about not only CRISPR, but also now other uh, biological molecules and how I can capture their function. So it has become a theme in my lab where 
you know, can we use biology as technology? Can we look around to see what, what, what else is available for us to actually take advantage and how we can unlock those resources for, for human health? So you mentioned this first week planning these experiments during your class about how far down the road were you collecting data that made you think, okay, I think this is working? So to be honest with you, the working part was um, within the first five, six months, you know, we were getting, you know, very, very promising results. Um, uh, the, the major challenge was the electronic because we used nanotransistors and I was fabricating those transistors myself. And when I moved, when I became a professor, it was, um, it was also difficult to go back and forth to Berkeley and fabricate those uh, transistors. And um, that was a major limitation. And then after I found my collaborators who are today my colleagues at Kadia, um, and they were actually making commercial scale uh, transistors and we were able to move our platform to their um, uh, platform, our, our technology on their platform, it was really everything moved significantly faster in terms of clinical testing and all that. And uh, I realized that this, has, this had a really great potential to become a product. Um, this was after a trip to San Francisco where I heard about another company and they were their, their ability to fundraise. And um, then I decided to reach out to a network of people first who, who I have made during my first uh, two years in Berkeley where I started another company for another you know, invention that I had. And I fell in the starting a company. I just, um, I, I did not have the experiences or I did not know how to build the right team, but I, I built a big network. So I reached out to them and then, you know, everything basically connected and, uh, and helped me to form the, the second company, which today has merged with, to become a bigger company, which is Kadirabai. And out of curiosity, was there a particular genetic mutation that you used as a positive control in those early experiments? Or I'm just actually curious about the, the huh. process there a little bit. Yes, absolutely. So to, to, to start with, we just used, um, you know, I was collaborating with one of the faculties in Berkeley and they had a model. They were using CRISPR, a model for those were HEC-BFP cells. I don't know, you probably are familiar with that. You know, it's a blue fluorescence protein that is engineered into the cells. And they have designed successful guide RNA and complex to detect that gene. So everything was already, we, we started with a sample that was tested multiple times to work in vivo. And it, it was a very robust sample. So this is how we started, you know, as a positive control and to make sure that the platform worked. Later on, we moved on to clinical sample where we tested it against uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy and, um, and uh, we were comparing with healthy genomic sample. And then later on, uh, within a two, three years, we expanded the technology to detect single point mutations in sickle cell disease and ALS. Amazing. And what's the long-term vision for this product? Is it to be in hospitals and clinics around the world? Yeah. Um, so when I first started thinking about the technology, for me, it was the versatility of the CRISPR itself, where you could really program it to detect anything. That's one. Two is the potential, you know, expansion of uh, having a chip which had a thousand transistors on. 
and each of tra- those transistors could be potentially, uh, we could potentially decorate them with a specific CRISPR molecule to detect a specific region. So when I envisioned this, I imagined a chip that could detect, you know, hundreds of genetic diseases at the same time. But this was an initial uh, thinking. But then as we move to the industry and, and looking at, you know, talking with customers and really listening to them and what was the need for the market, um, we really found other applications which were, you know, which we could get uh, to faster than, than having a, you know, chip that could detect hundreds of uh, genetic mutations at the same time, which we didn't even know that those were needed. For example, with our platform, you can monitor the, the, you can monitor and quantify RNA binding to proteins. And that was, you know, we could, you know, when we were functionalizing our chip, we would monitor when we actually added our guide RNA to interact with the Cas protein to form the complex. And that data itself was so valuable. And we realized that there was no instrument out there to actually quantify that. And it's not only important for uh, CRISPR design, but it's important for a lot of other therapeutics applications that are working on RNA binding proteins. So, um, you know, basically, basically people who are working on in the field of um, epitranscriptomics, they know the importance of, you know, RNA binding protein. And so we're doing some RNA binding protein. We're working on uh, using the same exact platform for quality control application for CRISPR. Because a lot of time, you know, designing the right complex is super important. The same exact platform that we developed with the same exact, you know, methodology of, uh, you know, working methodology can be used for monitoring the stability of the complex in different environmental conditions. You know, if you have a cell that is cancerous or if it's a cell that is healthy, how do you expect your complex to function? Or, you know, when you're doing editing in some sort of cells, how much editing you actually have uh, achieved, you know, and you can monitor before and after, you know, uh, editing and to see what what was the percentage of your um, editing in, in, in cell type. So these were the applications we did not think about, you know, that are, you know, um, that arise, uh, um, you know, uh, later on, but uh, it, it led to a different company. At least we did a spin-off from Kadia Bio called CRISPR QC which uh, which we're actually awesome. doing just for CRISPR QC. You know, also we, what we did not think that, you know, there's a lot of um, need in uh, in agriculture for, for having a handheld system mm-hmm. to monitor the presence or absence of, you know, some sort of genes or transgenes and uh, our platform could offer that. So, you know, as you talk with customers, as you talk with people, you know, each of them help you to realize where can your 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 uh, product uh, be more useful. Yeah. And it was a great les- lesson for me too that in order to develop technologies in my lab that are meaningful to society, I really have to talk with people and industry to see what the needs are. And uh, it has really shaped the way that I actually do my research in my academic lab as well. Wow. it's It sounds like it, it was one of those ideas that, you know, once you built the initial proof of concept or minimum viable product, it just kind of expanded from there. And there was really a ton of different directions that you could go with it. Um, I, just to get a sense, uh, timing wise, what's the comparison as far as a readout from this type of device versus something like traditional PCR, like you were talking about earlier? 
Yes, absolutely. So remember that our platform does not require any amplification, right? So you basically put the whole genome in and you let CRISPR do what it's good at, right? You basically let the biology take care of it. So that itself cuts a lot of time. And uh, uh, the rest is basically sample type. So for some of the samples, we need about 20 minutes. For some of the sample, you know, five minutes was enough, you know. So the average is about from, from the time that you have your chip functionalized and ready and you put the genome on to where you have the readout. It's normally 15 minutes. Wow. That's incredible. And really, I mean, could change how quickly a lot of, you know, science and molecular biology is performed. Exactly. And then we're, we're reading it, right? We're letting bio biology fast. We're letting the CRISPR enzyme do the work for us. So I want to get into the nuts and bolts of what your lab is like and, and how you run a lab that bridges these two different fields, really. Um, what's the setup like? What kind of people do you recruit and what are their backgrounds? Really great question and a very difficult question. So uh, some in my lab, we also work a lot on aging. So we do a lot of diagnostic, but we also use our tools to, to discover, you know, some biomarkers for aging too. So the lab is basically divided to two parts where one part is really sensor development and the next generation of sensors using modern electronic. And the other part of the lab basically utilizes the tools that I've already developed throughout my years of you know, uh, research to identify biomarkers for aging and we collaborate extensively on all of those projects. Who do I recruit for the lab? It's a, it's a great question because um, it's of course a combination of you know, hard skill and expertise that you have. And uh, as I am through my journey, as I am learning to become a better leader, I'm also paying more attention to soft skill and uh, learning to really identify people who have the same motivational factors. Uh, or, you know, at least understand their motivational factor to make sure how do we actually put the team to work together. Um, it's a very, very collaborative uh, work environment. You know, projects are team-based. There is not a single project that it's, uh, that a single individual is working on. There is really teams that work together based on their expertise. And um, uh, we really foster collaboration and innovative thinking. And I think with, um, we live in an era that all sciences are required to have a successful project and a successful product. And um, so in my lab, we have chemists, biologists, protein engineers, you know, um, um, electrical engineers, physicists, and just name it. And uh, we also have a lot of undergrad. We have high school students who work with us in the summer. And I love working with undergrads and high school students because their mind is so open, you know, and uh, they're not scared of trying things. And sometimes it's really uh, nice to see that. And, you know, they really work with senior scientists and, uh, and I just enjoy um, seeing this collaborative environment. And I learn on a daily basis from my people, you know, because I don't have time to actually learn about all of those topics. And with experts that I work with, you know, it's, uh, it's a constant, you know, learning for me, which uh, what makes my job really exciting. You mentioned working on soft skills and um, thinking about how you lead. Has, has there been any learnings from this past year for you that were 
really eye-opening as far as uh, changing how you lead others? Absolutely. So um, I myself come from a culture that is very different. And uh, because we had, you know, some limitations, sometimes we were very direct in our, um, <clears throat> in the way we acted. And uh, throughout this learning, I have identified some of the things that I have to basically tune. Um, you know, being kind, it's, uh, it's good, but it's not always good, right? Being assertive, it's not good, but it's not always bad. How do you actually tune these things to, to, um, to for, you know, and make it an individualized based on the people and group of people that you work with to, to make a win-win situation? Because you want people to really enjoy where they are. I want, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but I really want my talents and people who work with me to have the same feeling. And uh, it's been a training for me to just try to see um, things from uh, people's perspective and, uh, you know, just zoom out a little bit and see what is it that we can find in common together so we can create a better work environment. And in science, you know, doing science in, in the U.S., that means you have to really be able to work with diverse group of people from different culture, different background. And um, that means that you, you have to study their culture. You have to make sure that, you know, if you're talking with someone and if things are said, it's not, these are not personal, these are coming from cultural background and understanding and respecting each other's culture and, and just enjoying that. It's, it's, I think the major, has been a major learning lesson for me and has helped me a lot. Like if I, sometimes I tell my colleagues, how did you work with me two years ago? And uh, because I, I feel, you know, uh, sometimes I'm too, super excited and super passionate about doing things that, you know, uh, it might come as too assertive. And, uh, and I have to tune that a little bit. So it's, it's been great. It's been, I think, uh, when you, as a scientist, when, when I look at it as a science, and I'm like, wow, this is really powerful stuff, you know, and creating that... Uh, work environment you know it's uh, it's been amazing and it's it's the funny thing is that it allows you to not have any negative energy because of some of those conflict that might, might arise from different cultures and and that not having that negative energy will result in having more time more positive energy to do better things that are more important and uh, they can really impact uh, impact life so it's, it's lessons learned on a daily basis, you know, tuning on a daily basis. And uh, uh, as a leader, I also have to make sure that the team are playing uh, well to, with each other. And to do that, you have to teach what you learn. And I think through teaching of this leadership skill, you also hold yourself to higher standard that you have to actually uh, do what you learn because then it's not learning. You have to you know, you have to really do what you know because then it's not knowing, right? So it puts um, it puts a bit of pressure, but it's also I think um, it's it's a nice thing. And having that higher bar, it's 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 really great. I love that. Um, yeah, I think it's it's such a valuable skill that we all you know have to develop over time and and learn how to interact and and be the best selves we can be um for the people that we work with or otherwise um i wanted to ask you recently participated in this world crisper day um there was a 
panel of women leaders in CRISPR, which I thought was such a great event. Um, several women contributed to it and shared their experiences. And there was a lot of enthusiasm in the the chat for that session as far as women just feeling like they were hearing things that they could relate to. Um, I thought it was really powerful. So I was just wondering if you could talk about that experience and any takeaways you had from that event. Yes, um, it was an amazing event. I, I, I also, it was interesting for me to actually learn about other panelists to see what sort of perspective they had, right? And, uh, you know, when you look at, or when you listen to those um, conversation, each of us uh, had our own perspective, right? So it's really not a single formula that that works for any any one of uh, any one of us. It's just it was very different. It was the motivational factors were different, and and the way we saw it was really really different. And um, what does that tell you? That tells you there is not you know just focusing on problems and roots. It's not going to solve anything because each of us have different problems, different roots, different perspective, but. Uh, but what it's important is for other younger, you know, scientists and younger women to see more women in the field, despite all of these, their different challenges, ending up in, in those leadership roles. I think that that was a powerful message because that tells you each of us have challenges in life. They either societal, you know, economical or other sort of challenges. And we each face different challenges. But that does not mean that they they can stop us or limit us in achieving our our dreams. Some of us could have challenges because we are young mothers. Some of us we can have challenges because we 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 migrated or we are immigrants. Some of us might have challenges because of other you know um, sort of limitations. But what's important is that all of us ended up in a leadership role. So don't be scared. Take the you know opportunities and you know take it one step at a time. We don't have to be perfect, but that that does not mean that we have to stop our progress because we want to be perfect. We should just you know take it as it comes. Yeah, I I just I really commend you on your positive nature and your attitude around building and not focusing on, you know, the negatives. And I, I just think it's such an important kind of state of mind to put out in the world. Um, and I really have enjoyed learning that about you over the course of these various events that you've been uh, participating in and, and sharing your experiences through. And I think um, this conversation will add to uh, that you know, ethos that you have um, about building and, and really creating and um, not limiting ourselves, right? Yeah, so. I think, I think um, uh, all humans are great. We all have so much, we have extraordinary capability, you know, and um, we shouldn't let our limitation define us. We should just focus on those um, possibilities, the extraordinary, you know, capabilities of that life offers us and, and really take advantage of that to shape our future. Absolutely. I think that's a, a great note for us to wrap up on. And uh, I just want to be cognizant of your time and thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to share all of this with us. And I can't wait to 
get the episode out and and uh and just share it with more people so thank you so much and thank you for for doing what you're doing it's amazing to meet you as well yeah you too thank you so much thank you have a great day you too That wraps up my interview with Dr. Kiana Aran. Kiana, thank you for taking the time to share your experiences with us. I'm so incredibly inspired by your passion for science, your inventions, and your drive to build and create and embrace possibility over limitation. I think it's such a great personal ethos that you put out into the world. If you enjoyed this interview, please click subscribe leave us a comment or a review. I'd love to hear from you all. And let me know if there's anyone you'd love to see interviewed on this show. I'm always open to suggestions. If you enjoyed this episode, I recommend you check out the interview I did with Celine Hollywa, the CEO of Loyal, or the interview I did with Lindsay Pino, the co-founder of Talis Bio, both great personalities and great people to learn from. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this independent podcast. We'll see you next time.